confident in relationships. I'm sure that many of you will have seen the TV program Dragon's Den, where budding entrepreneurs get three minutes to pitch their business to five multimillionaires, hoping that they would invest their cash in their product or service. Here, tone and posture matter, along with confidence and humble persuasion. Yi Quan had developed a range of quality ice creams, including flavors such as black sesame and lychee. Mm. The dragons displayed their usual customary power dynamics, but Yi was selling something quite different from the norm. Early in her presentation, she gave each dragon three flavors to taste, where apart from one dragon, they all loved them. However, the ice cream market is difficult to enter, let alone succeed, and three declined to invest. But Yi's glorious flavors and her winsome approach persuaded two to make an offer. Being a Christian in the Roman Empire during the first century required humility and a willingness to embrace weakness. Like selling weird ice cream flavors, it was a major break from the norm. Now Peter was by no means expecting every person these Christians had contact with to choose to invest their lives in Jesus. But he knew that if they could taste and see, some would. But let's go a little bit into the background to the reading you've just heard. In the last weeks, we've heard that slaves in their day was a possession, a living tool, who had no rights or say. And now Peter turns his attention to, let's say, domestic issues that Christianity produced. So what if one marriage partner might be one for Christ, while the other remained a non-believer? To many of us, it may seem strange that Peter's advice to wives is six times as long as that to husbands. This is because the wife's position was far more difficult than that of the husband. You see, if a husband became a Christian, he would automatically bring his wife and family to church, and there would be no problem. But if a wife became a Christian, while her husband was not a believer, she was overstepping the mark and causing division. In every area of ancient civilization, women had no rights at all. Under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was owned by her husband in exactly the same way that he owned his sheep. When no, on no account could she leave him but he could dismiss her at any moment. So for a wife to change her religion from her husband's was unthinkable. In Greek society, the duty of the woman was to remain indoors and be obedient to her husband. It was a sign of a good woman if she must see as little, hear as little, and ask as little as possible. She had no independence, 
or allowed any thoughts of her own. And her husband could divorce her at any moment if he returned her diary, a dowry. Under Roman law, a woman had no rights. In law, she remained a child, where she lived at home with her parents. She was under her father's power, which gave him the right even of life and death. And when she married, that law passed over to her husband. In fact, the whole attitude of ancient society was that no woman could dare take any decision for herself. So imagine the issues if a woman became a Christian while her husband remained faithful to the ancestral gods. For us today, we cannot imagine what life must have been for the wife who was brave enough to become a Christian. What then is Peter's advice? But first we must consider what he does not advise. Firstly, he does not advise that she leaves her husband. In fact, he takes the same attitude as Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, stating that unless he sends her away, she must remain with her unbelieving husband. Neither does he tell her to preach or argue, or to say that there is no difference between slave and master, Gentile or Jew, male or female. Or all that, all are the same in the presence of Christ, whom she has now come to know. Can you begin to understand how difficult life must have been in the first century? But he does tell her something simple, even if that might not be easy in the circumstances. He says, be a good wife. And let your silent witness be so sweet that it will break down the barriers or prejudice and hostility which will lead him to Christ. Be submissive but not spineless. Be faithful and reverent. In essence, be the perfect wife. In verses 3 to 6, he moves on to how women should dress and present themselves. Well, if a woman cannot work, what else is there to do other than to make herself look pretty for her husband? Well, you might think this is acceptable. Ancient moralists condemn this along with Christian teachers. Isaiah 3.18 to 24 lists a long length of female enhancements, such as anklets, pendants, bracelets, perfume boxes, signet rings, and nose rings, and much more that will be destroyed on the, way, on the day of judgment. In the world of the Romans and the Greeks, they found fulfillment in wearing expensive jewelry, with their hair waved and dyed, sometimes black, but very often auburn. Wigs were purchased from India and Germany, and hairpins were made of ivory and tortoiseshell, and sometimes of gold studded with gems. Diamonds, emeralds, topazes, 
and opals were the favorite stones. So Christianity came into a world of luxury and self-indulgence combined. In the face of all this, Peter pleads for the graces which comes from the heart, which are precious in the sight of God. You see, these were the jewels which bejeweled the holy women of old. Isaiah had Sarah, the mother of God's faithful people. And if Christian wives possessed the same graces of modesty, humility, and faithfulness, they too will be her daughter and will be within the family of the faithful people of God. While a Christian woman could be tempted to live an extravagant life, she was to live in selfless service, which would be the best sermon that she could ever preach to win her husband for Christ. Now we turn to husbands in verse 7. And you might feel that little has to be done on this side. However, this is known as a reciprocal ethic, where having spoken about the wives, he now says marriage must be based on reciprocal obligation, not only one-sided. This was something new in the ancient world. For the Roman, for in the Roman moral code, all the obligation was on the wife and all the privileges on the husband. So what is expected of the husband? Firstly, he must be understanding. He must be considerate and sensitive to the feelings of his wife. Secondly, he must be gracious. He must remember that women are the weaker sex in physical strength. In the ancient world, Chivalry to women was unknown. Thirdly, he must remember, remember that women has equal spiritual rights. She is a fellow heir. Women did not share in the worship of the Greeks and the Romans. And even in the Jewish synagogue, when allowed, had to be segregated from the men even. So again, Christianity radically emerged stating women were equal in their spiritual rights and that the relationship between the sexes was changed. Lastly, unless a man fulfills these requirements, there is a barrier between his prayers and God. And here lies a great truth. Our relationship with God can never be right if our relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters are wrong. It is when we are at one with each other that we are at one with him. I pause for a moment. Is there anyone you or I need to get right with? Could that be the reason why your prayers are not being answered? In the last part, verses 8 to 12, it could be titled The Marks of the Christian Life, where right at the forefront, Peter puts Christian unity. 
Now, it is worth stopping for a moment and considering where else in the New Testament does it speak of Christian unity? Jesus prayed that his people be one as he and the Father are one. John 17. Acts 4.32 tells us that this prayer was fulfilled, for they all were of one heart and soul. Over and over, Paul requests that they be united. And so the Christians in Rome, though they are many, they are one body. And he pleads with them to be of one mind. Romans 12, 4 and verse 16. He pleads with the quarreling Corinthians that there should be no division among them. 1 Corinthians 12. All through the New Testament rings this plea for Christian unity. Yet it's more than a plea, for no one can live the Christian life unless it is within unity with others. And no church can be Christian if there are divisions within it. Secondly, Peter puts down sympathy as a duty for us. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice, as we did last week watching Phil be baptised in Ross's testimony. And we weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. Clearly, sympathy and selfishness cannot coexist. So long as self is the most important thing, there can be no sympathy. For sympathy depends on the willingness to forget self and to identify with the pains and sorrows of others. Time prevents me from going deeper into the remaining duties. But brotherly love comes next. And we must remember Jesus' words of a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Compassion follows, which can easily be forgotten. We hear of casualties on the roads as a common experience, forgetting that a broken body means a broken heart for someone. Even now, hearing the death rates of COVID-19, hearing the casualties has lost its impact. But when a family has lost a son, daughter, mother, or father, it is a great loss to someone. If anything, Christians should have more compassion, as we well know that God sent his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins. A compassion so intense that it took Christ to the cross. Humility follows next. Because the Christian is aware that he or she is totally dependent on God. For alone we can do nothing. And that alone should keep us humble. Lastly, Peter sets forgiveness. For as we receive forgiveness from God, we are called to forgive others. The one cannot exist without the other. Think about the Lord's Prayer. The mark of the Christian is that we forgive others as God has forgiven us. So would you taste a black sesame and lychee ice cream 
Well, I know I would if it was free. Have you begun this journey with God and seen and tasted that life with Jesus is good? Have you stepped outside your door into the world where witnessing can be a blessing to others? Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Let's go fishing. Amen.